Welcome to the Deep in Japan podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kruger, and today we are here with co-host and founding member of the Deep in Japan podcast fan club, Trevor Holland. Welcome to the show, Trevor. Fan club? Fan club? Yeah, well, you're a founding member of the podcast and the fan club. <laughs> it's good to be back on the show, Jeff. It's good to have you. Hey, uh, thanks to your tip-off. This is the the story that you brought to us today that we're going to talk about today. I got a little something for you that I think you might want to hear. You ready for this? Yeah, let's do it. What do you got? Oh my God. Trevor, wake up. Wake up, Trevor. おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。おはよう。
free or easy. Uh, so they've come out with this new slash gate model for the coronavirus. This is a, a brand new model. And if you've ever seen, have you ever seen the uh, the Echo Dot, Amazon's little, it's like a hockey puck and it has Alexa and you can put them all over your house. That way, you know, Amazon can track you 24 hours a day. Have you, have you seen this? They have those in Japan? Mm, no. Okay. Well, they're, they're everywhere here in America. They basically give them away during uh, certain parts of the year just to get them in your house. And uh, it's basically one of these Echo Dots. <laughs> and instead of a hologram, they've put a like what looks like a cardboard cutout of an anime girl on top for you to look at. <laughs> so this is your, your personal assistant. Um, and they're not sure there's a market for it. So apparently it's not in production yet. They're thinking about it. They're, they're putting out some feelers. What I found really interesting, though, was uh, the original hologram model. This was outside the scope of this article, but the original hologram model um, went out of production, which means that all of these people that, that bought them and these were their wives, their waifus, uh, they had to watch them slowly die as they switched the servers off. Oh my God. Heart wrenching. And then they invited, you, they invited you to buy a new waifu or several waifus. Version 2.0 allows for uh, polygamy, <laughs> virtual digital assistant polygamy. What? So, oh my God, that's always a great feature. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? This, I mean, it reminds me, I don't know if you are a fan of the show Archer, but in that show, there's a character called Krieger, which kind of sounds like my last name, Kruger. Dr. Krieger is this weird scientist. He's always in a lab coat and he has a hologram waifu. So I've already kind of, this concept has already been deeply ingrained inside of me. I didn't know that we were living in the future though, and that this thing is actually going to exist. Yeah, apparently it already exists. The real one already exists. This is the uh, the cheap cardboard cutout knockoff. And for anybody listening, I'm going to be posting up links on the Deep in Japan Facebook page. If you're not already uh, a member, check it out. You can see exactly what we're talking about on Facebook. Uh, but did you ever see the movie uh, Blade Runner 2049? It's the new, the sequel to Blade Runner. I haven't yet. I'm, I'm that far out of the loop now. So in that film, he has he has a digital waifu. That's a thing walks around his house. He had sex with it in the film. Wow. Apparently in, in 2049, if you hire a hooker, the, they can, you know, put the hologram on top of her and you can, you know, express yourself physically. So that's what I think we have to look forward to in the future with uh, Aizma, with Ikari-chan here. So I know you're excited for that. I am. I mean, I'm all down with the AI future. Um, but that would be technically cheating, and my wife would kill me if I bedded down with uh, a digital waifu. So, well, here's the question: I, I I believe that they're working on a way that you can do kind of a digital scan of a real person and put them in the hologram box, so they can, you know, now I don't. I think it could get creepy, you know, like your your real spouse were to die, and you have like a digital one in a box on your desk that's like telling you it's time to go to work. Oh God. <laughs> is that cheating? imagine if you're 70 and your skin's all saggy and shit nobody would want to you know go to bed with you uh but you're married and um well your wife obviously she's 72 right but imagine if you both like i don't know through some neural link or something like that right you go into some i don't know ai universe and bang each other there with young hot bodies or something 
Well, this is another. This is another. This is another sci-fi film you're talking about. Uh, surrogates. Did you ever see Surrogates? With I think it was. Uh, no, I need to. Well, it's it's a it's a it's a Bruce Willis film, and uh, same thing. They jack you in, jack you, jack you off, jack you into the universe. They jack you in, then jack you off. They jack you in, they jack you off, uh, and you go into the robot body. That's by the way, that's what they call it when they uh, take you out of VR. I believe that's what they. That's my what? term for it, at least. Out jacking, jacking <laughs> off. Yeah, when when you you know you jack into the the virtual world and then you have to jack off to get out. That's uh-huh. the official term. Yeah. Anyways, so here's here's the next layer of this though. So apparently, one of the features is you can set it up so that you can text your AI waifu from anywhere via your smartphone, and she can nag you all day long. I don't know if that's, you know, as somebody who's still single, I don't know if that's like just adding another layer of realism, but apparently she'll, she'll text you and be like, Hey, I forgot the groceries. A nagging digital waifu. Yeah. I kind of like this. Yeah, no, I think they really wanted to go for realism here. So I think it's a great product. Um, not going to get it in America for obvious reasons. I know just the person uh, but, for know. this, though. I have a friend who I'm going to buy this for. I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> he has all the all the characters, but not this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and they're thinking about adding a new feature where you can design your own. So I, I believe some real nightmare amalgamations are going to be coming about. What do you mean? Like 3D print your own yeah. version? Yeah. Print your own, make your own waifu, waifu builder 1.0 coming in a future expansion pack. Uh, yeah, by Gatebox. Yeah, and I this only hit my radar because they're really pushing it for the, the COVID outbreak because there's a lot of uh, you know social distancing, isolation. Isolation's already a problem in Japan. Um, and so they're they're using this as a, as a time where they can kind of push this, hey, if you're lonely, get our little anime girl assistant. She'll tell you to wake your ass up. I mean, if you can program your own, I don't think I want Hikari-chan. I think I want Nao-chan. You know what I'm talking about, right? I, I don't. You don't know what I'm talking about? It's not Sorry. ringing any bells? Sorry. Oh, Nao-chan. Now I do, yeah. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to have to actually watch that show. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I have that soundbite. Thanks to you. I would I would have never have known that that existed. And with this new maker, you can actually make the guy that says that instead of now, John. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I think I'm going to get uh, one of these and then program it with my wife's personality and voice so that I can have a digital version of my wife available to me that's what i was saying you can you can kind of like you know in the future you'll be able to scan them and put them in there and you Mm -hmm. said that was a little creepy but now you're talking about about after your spouse died that that is a little creepy that would be one that would be one creepy use for it but i mean you know that dudes would be doing that right (laughs) so many dudes would be doing that yeah oh man my fantasy is to have have my real wife and my digital wife both harassing me via text while i'm at work (laughs) we're having to try and parse out which is which wait which, who, which one is this coming from? But I, you know, I guess if we're talking about post postmortem, it's mostly going to be women who have digital, you know, husbands. So the digital Donna, right, version, because dudes die earlier than their their wives. Well, right, but 
I don't know. I don't know who the target market for this thing is. I think I would guess single men. Krieger. Krieger, whose virtual girlfriend is so real, the state of New York is allowing him to legally marry her. Oh, Krieger-san. <laughs> Sean will be married, yes? Very soon, my little cherry blossom. <laughs> I don't understand the reference. Man. Yeah, so... Yeah, you. Yeah, I can't believe you haven't watched Archer. You've been, you've been working on me for years to to watch Archer. I just haven't I haven't got around to it. It's a good show. It's pretty funny. And by haven't got around to it, I mean I watched the first season, much like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I couldn't take it. Oh, don't don't do this. I couldn't do my it. beloved show, the show that you refuse to watch. You know that hurts, but it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt me as much as Steve saying that he won't watch. Um, God damn it, uh, Rick and Morty. He uh, he's against. Rick and Morty. He thinks it's like the shittiest show ever. That's tough. Yeah, I had a I, had, I have a friend. Uh, he enjoyed Rick and Morty until the Pickle Rick episode, which, by the way, won a daytime daytime regular. I don't know, won an Emmy award. The Pickle Rick episode. He said that uh, Pickle Rick would jump in the shark. Yeah, well, it divides the room for sure. That episode divides the room. So, like, I think it's just so disgusting that that some people can't really hack it. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious too. Um, but anyways, we're getting more popular. <laughs> you know, but talk about crimes against humanity. Steve thinks that that's the worst show ever. So, you know, human rights violations, crimes against, I think we should slap him with everything at this point. You know that Steve listens to the show, right? I, I know. I hope he's listening to this. Steve, the fact that you don't like Rick and Morty is it's to me a crime against humanity. So you, you have just gone a step up from human rights violations, buddy. You're on my list, and I'm going to be interrogating you soon about this. Rest assured, 90 minutes in my office, fully naked. It's a travesty. It's, yeah, well, I don't know if we'd go that far, but <laughs> it's, yeah. Rick and Morty may be one of the best pieces of American, you know, uh, television ever made. We're just going to, we're going to throw that out there. And I'm not one that likes to, to you can hyperbole, so you can, you can take my word for it. It's fucking amazing. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, Digital Waifu. Check it out. Go get one. Get your own. Um, you also prepared another little topic for us tonight, right? I did. And, you know, I was really shocked that you were not aware of the underlying... I think I, in my head, like the possibility of, of that was there, but I, I didn't really... No, this wasn't... This is another thing that's just kind of like, whoa, that exists? Yeah. So, so I'll kind of lay it out here. Um, we'll, we'll kind of start at the beginning. Uh, so, uh, some of you will, will know this and, and apparently some of you like Jeff will, you know, kind of <laughs> in the back of your mind, I think most of Japan has kind of swept it to the back of their mind as a, as a, not really a problem. Um, and there, I guess there's been a lot of conversation about that, but, uh, the, the number of people that live in internet cafes now, primarily in large cities, obviously places like Tokyo, um, but this is kind of this strange trend that that I I ended up watching a weird documentary on it at one point, um, and it's I found it super interesting. Now I know that I've heard of tourists who want to go travel on the cheap will go to say Tokyo and they'll they'll decide well instead of getting a hotel room I'm going to stay in a, an internet cafe for a day or two or something like that. But apparently you have a large population of of I guess we could call them homeless now not homeless in the way that probably you and I think about homeless coming from America but homeless people um I think the statistics were something like 4000 
people at least in Tokyo live full time in internet cafes. Yeah, live. They live there. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I did a little background on on why this is an issue or how this came about. And I guess in the late nineties with the rise of internet cafes, you know, you had a lot of people didn't have internet in the home. Internet cafes kind of filled that void. Um, but they're relatively inexpensive to rent time in. And so you have people that can't afford a full time apartment in a large city like Tokyo. And I don't know what, you know, real estate goes for there, but I'm guessing that it costs you a pretty penny to to rent an apartment there. And so, you know, for I believe 60,000 yen a month, which is, you know, what, roughly $600 last time I checked a month, you can stay full time in one of these internet and here's cafes. The thing. They, and they, they've got electrical consents, they've got showers, they've got sinks, all you can drink, you know, soda fountain, and then you can order cheap, crappy food, right? So they've got amenities and utilities covered. You got TV, you've got internet, yeah. video games. So it's, it's a setup, but the room that you're you're living in is about four square meters. Yeah, so it's like those, uh, what do they call them? Coffin hotels in like Hong Kong and whatnot that have, I don't know if you've seen. Yeah, capital hotels. Um, yeah, but like living in it full time. And the door, apparently the door doesn't go all the way to the ceiling. So it's still, it's not completely private. It's, it's slightly exposed. Yeah, these are not. I'm not. I'm not talking about capsule hotels. I'm talking about like apartments. They're like called either capsule apartments or coffin apartments. They're so like really ridiculously small. There's some great exposés and documentaries. Of I have seen capsule hotels, but I haven't seen the apartment. Yeah, it was similarly shocking. You see it, and you're like, "Wow, people live in these really small coffin-like spaces, and they've got everything." Mm-hmm. You know, they got like. You can only really lie down in it. So I guess these internet cafes are slightly larger, but they're open on the the roof, right? Like, it, you know what I mean? There's Right. Yeah. Not, not private. Yeah. It was disturbing watching the videos that you sent over. And I will link those in the show notes and um, post on Facebook as well. But um, just like the, I don't know, when you listen to the people talk about their lifestyle and they're like, I like being alone, but I, I like the fact that I'm you know, not completely alone. And then I can hear other people in other rooms. And you're like, you're like, wow. Okay. Um, you, you realize that these people are completely cut off, right? Like they, and they talk about like, Hey, I can't really go back to my, my Jika, my, my, my home, my ancestral home, because like of whatever situation they have with their parents, like, I don't know, maybe they had a falling out or maybe they expect that you would carry on the farm, like what I'm doing out here. And they didn't want to do, I don't know. There's a bazillion, reasons why somebody might not want to go back to their ancestral home. Right. But um, yeah, they're essentially cut off. Right. And then they um, they're working part-time jobs in Tokyo. So they're not making a lot of money and um, they're not, they don't really have maybe like the wherewithal, maybe like economic and, or like, I don't know, psychological or, or whatever to like rent. Maybe they don't have enough like responsibility to like, rent an apartment, get utilities taken care of and all that stuff that like an adult would do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you take some irresponsible young kids who have like moved out of the uh, the sticks and gone to Tokyo and they're trying to like make their way. It's the equivalent of somebody going to New York and wanting to make it in the Big Apple, right? And there's just limited opportunities, limited jobs, limited space. And then they end up going to internet cafes at first just to game. But then they're like, hell, why would I fucking go anywhere else? I'll just stay here and live here. And then- right they realize that they have a market and then they start, Oh, let's put some showers in this bitch. And then they start pimping out these places so that they're more like apartments, coffin apartments. 
as you know as well. yeah i think there's some really interesting societal kind of economic um factors that go into this that that i could probably go off on for like an hour but you know in such a highly competitive society you know if if as a kid you're 16 and you decide you're moving to tokyo and you you know may or may not finish high school you know <laughs> that severely limits your opportunities long term and one of the articles said that uh, roughly like 38% of uh, people in Japan are considered temporary workers or part-time workers, as opposed yeah. to like a full-time salary worker. Um, and as a temp worker, you make, you know, maybe half of what a full-time salaried employee does. So there's just not a lot of money to be had in it. You're not getting, you know, necessarily skills that you can build upon. Um, and Japan to me seems like has always seemed like a country where you just can't afford to fall behind in society. So in America, you can, you can waste your entire, you know, twenties and it, you know, in your thirties decide you're going to go to community college and then transfer that into a four-year degree and then get a master's degree. And by the time you're like 40, you know, you've, you've kind of caught up and passed some people that, that, um, didn't go that far. So there's kind of a road back. And I feel like in Japan, I, I don't know for sure, but it feels like, you know, starting in junior high school, unless you're pushing really hard, you're going to fall behind. And if you fall behind, there's very few uh, avenues that you can take to kind of, you know, advance in society. Yeah. I just feel like some people probably get trapped in the situation where it's like, I'm, you know, as a kid, you're like, okay, I don't need this and whatever is going on at home. And I'm moving to the big city and I can get a job as a security guard or construction worker, and I can pay this $600 a month, this 60,000 yen a month to stay here. And then, you know, eventually I'll be able to get an apartment and whatever. And once you get into that situation, it can be hard to kind of maneuver yourself out of it, especially like you said, if you're, you know, you get into it young and you don't have parents that are able to kind of guide you and you're not really sure what you're doing, but it definitely, I can see how you get trapped into a situation like this for several years. So yeah, I'm just trying to think about like people who don't make it. I'm trying to think about like where where the bottlenecks are, and I think a lot of what Japan is, a lot of like how society functions is in, like timing is like such a a big thing. So you have your saging your saging shiki, like when you're 20, you become an adult, and then when you graduate from university, you do shushoku katsudo, you like try to get a job, and there's like this window where like that's when you get into a company to become a seishain, become a like a a full employee you know there's the seishain status in japan is pretty big like you're an official um you know company worker um and it, mm -hmm. this kind of harkens back to the I idea from the 80s of like these you know the samurai salary man you get into a company and you're in for life there's virtually no way for them to fire you like even if they don't like you even if the, it, it ends up that like you turn out to be kind of a douchebag that nobody wants to hang out with or do anything <laughs> with they'll stick you by the window right. and you just you just live over there in this desk, like, you know, or maybe they put you down in the basement or something like that. And they continue to employ you for life. Um, but like the, like the window of opportunity is timed. It's you would get into that position after going to university and the, the level just kind of similar to the United States, like the level of the university that you graduated from to, to a greater degree in Japan would dictate the types of jobs that are available to you. I think, um, you, uh, you know, in the United States, you could come out of a, a state school that's not really well known and still get a decent job. But like in Japan, if you want to get into any of the big companies, you know, Sony, what have you, you know, maybe Nintendo is, I'm not exactly sure about their hiring policies, but the, but the big companies anyway, Canon, they're looking for people who have graduated 
uh, from Tokyo University, Waseda University, Keio University. That's like the, the top 10, right? They're looking to get them when they're like 24, you know, mm-hmm. or sorry, 22, exactly when they've graduated from university. And they're not looking for other people. So um, if you didn't graduate from high school and or college at the proper time and you, you know, didn't start looking for a job during that, you know, particular phase, like six months prior to graduation from university, um, Mm -hmm. the chances of you then getting into a company and becoming a Seishain, a, you know, a bona fide uh, member, not like a part-timer, like a NEAT or a, you know, like an Arbaito type thing. Um, I don't know how you would get out of that because there's also, I think categorizations in Japan stick much harder than they do in in the West. So that like, oh, you're you're a part-time worker. You might kind of get stuck you know, under that shingle, as it were, and, and be that for the rest of your life. Um, and definitely the numbers of people that are stuck in sort of dead end Arbaito type jobs is increasing because the economy isn't doing as well as it used to. So there's a lot of pressure to, I think, for young kids in Japan to uh, to succeed in society. And there's uh, the precipice, so to speak, is, is a lot higher. When you fall from it, it's a lot harder to claw your way back up. Right. So I guess this is how things like this can happen. But I mean, the article that you sent me, um, uh, and this is kind of first made me aware of, wow, there's people living in these internet cafes. In the article you sent me, it was like the uh, the people who work at the cafe, like the owners and the workers are like, I want to close this shop as early as possible because, you know, there's COVID out there and we need to enforce social distancing. And, you know, we're not on lockdown, on hard lockdown anyway, soft lockdown, but we need to close the shop. However, we can't because there's people that live here. We don't want to kick them out into the cold. And you're like, what? Yeah. You know, the the record skips a beat. You know, like, what What do you, what, excuse me? You've got people living there? It's weird. Well, and it's interesting in that article, it talks about how um, the man that they were, they were interviewing, his net cafe has 20 uh, boxes, 20 rooms. And of those 20 rooms, 13 of them, are like full-time live-in guests, we'll call them, um, permanent residents of the the cafe. And so it's like he talks about how he ha- he stopped taking new uh, customers, but he's got these 13 people that he's trying to convince to, to move out. Um, and they've tried to provide, you know, resources and like for, for the homeless and things like that to try to um, transition them. And, you know, and he's trying to tell them that they're welcome to come back as soon as they reopen after things have settled down. But it's really for one, it's interesting to see that this is, this is, you know, such a big problem with, you know, maybe 4,000 people in Tokyo alone that are living this lifestyle, but it almost feels like it's a way for, for Japan to kind of sweep this homelessness problem under the rug a little bit, because in America, we have a huge, you know, homeless population. It's a huge social issue. Um, and it's very visible, you know, it's, if you look at, you know, parts of California, Skid Row, things like that, it's so visible. Um, and in Japan, it's like, even though they're technically homeless, you know, they have this place to live, they're paying, um, a nominal amount of rent, they have day jobs that they go to. And so it's kind of this strange form of home homelessness where I'm not sure they'd be able to, you know, not all of them now, some of them probably sure could go out if they had to and, and, you know find a way to make ends meet. But, you know, I assume that a good portion of these people wouldn't be able to go out and get a full-time job for whatever reason and, and pay, you know, rent. And I don't know if that's, there's probably some of that where it's like, maybe they should try moving out of Tokyo to, you know, 
out to, to the sticks, probably where they came from, uh, some of them, uh, because I know property prices are quite a bit cheaper out in the countryside. You've got a lot of abandoned uh, property that the government is literally trying to give away. Um, some restrictions may apply. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a big problem. And it's like a majority of the people that are in these nap cafes live there and now they're being displaced by COVID. And, and so it's just a really, it's a really strange problem that has been swept under the rug for probably 20 years. And now it's kind of making headlines again. And very unique to Japan, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, I, th- I mean, when you look at the people in the, in the uh, documentaries, they so like if if you compare them to sort of homeless people in the United States, the homeless people in the United States are homeless for a variety of reasons, but most commonly they don't have a job or they're unemployable for whatever reason. It could be mental health related or, or whatnot, drug related. But these people are not are not other than maybe caffeine and cigarettes are not drug addicts per se, and they're not unemployed or unemployable. They're just at very low level sort of arvito positions, maybe a Seven Eleven clerk or something like that that doesn't pay a living wage that doesn't allow them to sort of advance their dreams in society. They're certainly not a living wage. And, um, these may also, I think there's probably a lot of overlap in this group with the hikikomori category, you know, people who sort of withdraw from society, who have difficulty interacting with people, um, who find it, you know, difficult to make friends and, and talk to people. Definitely that seemed to be the case with the subjects in the documentary that you sent me. They certainly, they, um, many of them mention they mentioned that they like to kind of be alone, Right, so this is a very easy transition for the hikikomori folks. Right, they're it's a very small room. They are alone. They don't have to. One guy said, "I never interact with anybody. I come and I go, but I'm not talking to anybody." Um, so this is sort of a a place for hikikomori people that would otherwise have no place. But now here's an interesting. I kind of profiled one of the subjects, and I'm not sure if it's in one of the documentaries I sent you or another one, I was kind of watching a few of these before the show, but he was kind of interesting to me because he kind of went against the the stereotype that I had in my mind for the kind of people that were one being showed in these documentaries and two the kind of um, folks that I kind of imagine living, you know, kind of like the Hikikomori or, or maybe the, the part-time workers. And so this was a, I would say maybe 50, 50 year old man, roughly. Um, and he had a full-time job as a salary man. He worked for a credit card company and his job was kind of um, systems maintenance, something along those lines, some kind of IT tech position. So he's got a hard skill. He's a salary man full-time. Um, but he said he was being pushed to work 120 to like 200 hours a month in, in overtime. And it, it was taking its toll on his, his health. He had been at this for like 20 years. Um, and so he was, uh, diagnosed with clinical depression by a doctor, uh, decided that he needed to take some time off from work. Um, it was getting really bad. And so he had taken some time off while he was gone. It was getting around that his boss was basically shit talking him behind his back saying he was weak. He had no work ethic. Um, and so he, one day, you know, he was talking to his boss on the phone. His boss said, you know, I want you to come out. I want you to have a drink with me and let's talk. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't go. And so his boss said, well, then I guess I don't need people like you. I don't bother coming back. So he basically forced, I don't think he went as far as firing him, but he basically forced him out the door. So the guy ended up quitting after 20 years in this position as a full-time salary man. And uh, I don't know, living in Tokyo, one thing leads to another. He had been to net cafes before, kind of like you were talking about. And so it, was a, it wasn't a hard transition 
to kind of move in full time to a, a net cafe. You know, I know that in Japan, even even as somebody who graduated from a decent university, gets a job, has a has a long standing work record, it can be very difficult, I believe, to to get a new job if you've for whatever reason been, you know, fired or you quit from your previous job because it, you know, one companies, like you said, are looking to hire a four year old right out of college yeah. uh, students. And uh, you know, unless like, you know, you went to Todai and you have this huge resume that can get you in any door, people are like, well, what's wrong with you that you're defective, that you quit your last job? You must not be a team player. Why would we want to hire you? Without a doubt. Um, so, you know, his his goal had become, like, I'm going to go country to country. I'm going to leave Japan. There's no reason for me to stay here. And in the meantime, I'm going to live, you know, full time at the Net Cafe. And so, you know, even he managed to, you know, kind of fall. It's almost like society used him up for everything he had. He kind of fell out of the the day-to-day grind. And then once you do that, it's very difficult to work your way back in. So there are so many ways that people can kind of fall in, fall into this or kind of fall out of, of a society in Japan. It's kind of frightening. And yeah, like you said, there's little, very few opportunities for re-entry once you're out, you know, transitioning from company to company. It's really common in the West. Like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people, like in order to advance their career, they jump from company to company. They get the promotion through transition, whereas in Japan, it's all age-related. Like how long you've been with mm-hmm. the company, the number of years that you've been with the company dictate then, you know, what your salary will be, you know, how big your bonus will be. Probably won't have anything to do with how many holidays you have because nobody takes any holidays in Japan. But, um, but yeah, other stuff, salary. And there's just no, like, it is changing. Like, I, I want to say that there has been... I personally know of a couple cases of uh, people in their 40s who have transitioned to working in a new company, but I, I think um, there is a bit of a stigma to it still, and it's very hard to do in general. So yeah, um, there's um, less wiggle room, so to speak, less room for making errors in Japanese society. Um, obviously, anything that would cause you to lose face of some sort uh, could be, you know, your downfall, you know, 20 years ago, if a student committed suicide, um, in a school for whatever reason, usually bullying or something like that, you would see, um, the principals of the school committing suicide as well. So you have a, a, you know, a girl who jumps off the top of the school and, and kills herself because she's been bullied. And then right in the wake of that, the principal jumps off the roof because now he feels sad and responsible for it. There's less of that now. And there has been this sort of a transition to not um, equating your identity with your job. Uh, but I want to say that still in Japan, like who you are is like 99% like your job and what you give to the company, how much of your soul you give to the company. And I think this is kind of directly related to, you know, and I don't want to go into, into it completely, but the, uh, you know, Karoshi um, death from overwork trend yeah. that you, that you kind of see Japan dealing with now. And I think so much of this is like companies know, that the system is set up in such a way that you don't have a lot of options. It's not possible for you to just quit your job and go look for something else. Um, in the West, when stories like this come out, you know, that somebody has died from overwork in Japan or they've, you know, killed themselves because they've been working 200 hours a month of overtime. Um, the, you know, the, the sentiment in the West is very much like, well, why didn't they just quit and find another job? You know, that's, that's on them. That's just stupid. But in Japan, it's just not, it's not the way it's done. It's such a different 
system that you don't have the luxury of just quitting and finding a job that doesn't work you to the to the bone. You kind of have to just sit there and put up with it and hope that one day you get promoted and don't have to deal with that shit anymore. And I think usually that doesn't happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you uh, are thinking about killing yourself or see yourself dying because you're overworking, make sure that you reach out to the Karoshi Hotline Network for support. There's people there waiting to talk to you. And if nothing else, you can scan yourself in the gate box and uh, you can, you know, live forever as an AI anime girl. Speaking of AI anime girls, I think that um, in any event for the sort of standard, I live in an internet cafe, hikikomori type, maybe what they need is uh, an AI waifu, right? To, you know, greet them when they come in and out you know, to, to be a comforting bride, so to speak. Welcome home. I've been, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> what they really need is a, is an AI wife set to like nag mode, which is like, go get your, go get a job. God damn it. Time to wake up and go find an apartment. <laughs> Aren't you tired of being a Nito? Let's polish those skills. Stop gaming. you you've been gaming for six hours today. Look, why don't you learn some code? <laughs> oh goodness. Well, uh, I got to get back to work. I'm on my lunch break, but uh, it was a good catch up. And uh, I hope the people who listen to this enjoyed it. We'll be hearing a lot more from Trevor. He'll be joining the show, hopefully as a regular, once weekly with um, great links like he offered us today. So we could, maybe we could call it links with Trevor or something like that. I had a really good time finding the links. There's just, there's no uh, shortage of crazy shit going on in Japan from my perspective. So yeah, it's fun. I would love to do a whole retrospective on Saitama prefecture. I don't know what your obsession with Saitama is. There's all kinds of crazier shit that happens in Tokyo, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, you are obsessed with Saitama. No, Saitama is the crazy capital of Japan. And uh, we're going to talk about it one of these days. Uh, yeah, but I look forward to, uh, to doing How about What shows. the Fuck Japan uh, with Trevor? We have just What the Fuck episodes or something like that. Although, you know, not not everything has to be What the Fuck, but I don't know. I think it was I think it was a fine mix. You know, I'm going to try to find at least one, um, you know, kind of funny story and then one that's a little more serious. So I think we kind of had a <laughs> had an interesting full spectrum of a uh, couple topics today. It was very, very, very wow. Very wow. Very dope. Uh, if. Anybody listening to this has any suggestions for future uh, topics, definitely leave them on the Facebook page um, and we will take a look at them. We're definitely looking for uh, all kinds of interesting things about Japan to talk about here on the show. And uh, I assume we can expect from you, besides listening to me once a week, uh, future interviews with uh, you know guests as you've been doing up until this point for all your longtime listeners. Is that right? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But I think everybody's going to be happy with the sort of um, just the improved frequency. Like the, we need more episodes. We need more content, you know, no more six month gaps or anything like that. We need to get some episodes out. So yeah, I appreciate you helping me out with this, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah, no, I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And with that, I'm going to lead us out with. Yes, I mean, aside, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>